This is a Hawaii Rising special episode. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. Last week, we celebrated HPF's 50th birthday at Church of the Crossroads, where HPF's history began. As we approach the end of HPF's 50th year, we're taking a moment to reflect on where we've come this year. It's been a big one. This year's grantee cohort is the biggest in HPF history. We've moved over $510,000 in grants through our annual grant cycle, the Giving Project, and Urgent Action Grants. We had our first multi-year grants, our Noke Mao grants, for two of our long-standing partners. The abundance that made this impact possible is a direct expression of you, our community's commitment to real change from the grassroots up, and it's more important than ever. Last month, we sat down with HPF founder John Wittick to look through old photos and hear about the early days of the People's Fund. As we looked through the photos, we heard the names of many people who have, in different ways, been a part of the HPF community throughout the decades. That's Setsu Okubo, founding board members, spirited, feisty Roosevelt High School teacher. Here we honored Marion Kelly, and here's Jean King. And here's Mililani Tresk, the Holly Mahalo Band with Kekuni Blaisdell and and Kehau. Oh my gosh. Oh, here's Pui Pao. Oh, I love this Kekuni picture. So good. So good. He was such a loving guy. You know, you go visit him. I used to go to St. Francis Hospital where he was, and I'd take uh, people to meet him there, and he always come up and nose to nose. And all the, all the medical students just loved him. <gasps> Eiko Reinecke. Oh, wow. Eiko is such a, you know that we won them money for their illegal firing in 19, whatever, 40s, whenever they did it. And so about 30 years later, we won $30,000 settlement. Wow. So of course that money the Reineckes put into good causes, yeah, helping other people. Harold Chin was an honoree. Mm. He was a labor activist, uh, ILWU, and he helped lead the walkout at Wailua Sugar Mill when uh, they were uh, going after uh, communists in the union. They had arrested Jack Hall, or uh, what's his name, Harry Bridges. And so Wailua Sugar was a local plantation that went on, they did a one-day walk-up. Mm. And that, he was the leader of it. Mm. Great guy. Here he is, too. I asked Mr. Wittick how Church of the Crossroads became HPF's early base. We had Youth Action there. Youth Action we founded in 1969 with a grant from three church groups, the Joint Strategy Action Committee. I think it was Episcopalian, United Church of Christ, and Methodist. So the three of them, their national offices gave three or 4,000 each. So we had like a $10,000 starting grant. So with that, I was hired. I think I salary was 200 a month, which was more than I was getting. <laughs> and um, I was the first 
um, coordinator, we called it. So I had to create a board, et cetera. So it went from about 69 to 72. It actually lasted probably to 75, 76. But in 71, we thought, you know, what is a good idea for youth uh, grant grants and all that would be good for general community. So we founded the People's Fund in 71, actually, although we celebrated in 72. As, and so we kept the same office at Crossroads. And we had other groups there, Micronesia Support Committee, the anti-nuclear group, the draft resistance. So Crossroads was one of those great churches that supported the anti-war movement and other movements. We had a sanctuary there with, I think, 37 GIs. Some, some of them at Crossroads, some at Unitarian Church on Poly Highway, a few in the Methodist Foundation. And we were able to house, the GIs would come in from all branches of the military, we'd interview them, they stayed there. Um, the media covered it because it was the largest GI anti-war sanctuary in the country. And Lucy and I got married in that atmosphere <laughs> and the GIs were our best men. But it, after about 37 days, uh, the military police came in and crashed it. And at that time, they probably only arrested about 10 people because most of the GIs we moved out of Hawaii or moved to Canada or moved. And uh, s several of them went on speaking tours around the country. It was quite a successful sanctuary movement. So the anti-war GI movement became fairly strong in Hawaii. So Crossroads hosted that sanctuary and they paid the price because some of their members quit. They lost some of their financial support. You know, so there was a, quite a price for it. And the city came after them for not having permits for uh, lavatories and water and all that. They were violating all that. So we as young punks, we, do, we, do, we don't think of those things that much. We just think it's your Christian duty, your duty to support this. We're making it possible. We're rather arrogant in that way, but I've always loved the Church of the Crossroads. So it was our home for several movement groups, Youth Action, People's Fund. Eventually, we moved both of them to Unity House, the headquarters of the union, Teamster Union and Hotel Workers Union. We were given free office space there for a year or two. It was funny, Art Rutledge was the union leader who let us in. He would come by occasionally and say, who are you? What are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> he was very forgetful. <laughs> but we stayed there for a few years, and I think we came back to Crossroads. We did a youth congress in 1970, and we had about 80 youth groups represented. We got the dormitory at the University of Hawaii. We rented it. We had student delegates uh, stay there. I'm not sure, the, I guess the women stayed in separate suites, I don't remember, but they would have group meetings and we'd show films. And this youth representation ranged from 4-H club, uh, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, 
to the SDS of Roosevelt, you know, the, the more left anti-war groups. But the, it went one week, and they came out with a series of resolutions and proposals. One was for the independence of Hawaii. One was making fun of uh, the building crane was the state bird <laughs> because we had so much development. And it led, the 1971 led to the Kalama Valley struggle. Because some of the activists who go there and get arrested, form Kukua Hawaii, Kukua Kalama, were from the Youth Congress. It was just such a motivating event. And then we had Youth Action, with help from People's Fund, hosted them on other islands as well. So we had three or four of them. My feeling is today we need something like that. We need the youth want to do things on global climate change, on land rights, sovereign, you know, there's so much uh, potential there and it would be good to sort of harness some of that and unleash it because that's really how the anti-war movement and Kalama Valley struggle and all the land struggles got started with that. And youth, youth are really the intermediary. They can study issues, they can research, they can talk to their elders and they can take the message out. Uh, today it's a, a little harder because most youth are strapped. They have to get part-time jobs or full-time jobs, but they can still be that important intermediary and develop leadership. Uh, a lot of these people you see in the pictures, the Pete Thompsons and all that came out of the student movement and that potential is there today. So yeah, Youth Action and People's Fund were sort of, uh, one led to the other and then led to some of these other movements. And People's Fund is what, 51, 52 years, 51 50. years old actually. 50. I know, but I like you, 50. I, <laughs> I, I, would, al I would always argue with Nancy <laughs> Alec. <laughs> she said, no, let's just keep it. Every <laughs> so I think it's good now because you have a nice round number. So it's always a shock to me when I don't realize I'm that old and <laughs> that I'm around this long and that people's fund is around this long, longer than most organizations of the movement. And Mickey's brought a whole new life to it. Thank you. What were those early meetings like? They were very informal. We might meet in one of the meeting places was up the street or could be here. Um, usually someone's living room, we would potluck. Um, usually Walter Johnson or later Kohayashi would chair it. Uh, I would usually be, I was the coordinator, and so I would take minutes. Uh, we would meet on fairly short meetings. We'd have grant requests. We had a one-page grant application, which I still love. <laughs> I know today you need more info, but uh, so we'd review, the coordinator could make a recommendation. Most grants were probably around the size of 100 to 500 would be a large grant then. But in those days you could do like a slideshow or $50, I mean you, a little bit of money could do a lot. You could do flyers. Uh, we couldn't support staff, but most of these groups were beginning groups of either youth um, who were active in Save Our Surf or in other issues, anti-war groups, 
they just needed some money for banners or for so we could take get a grant application and within a month move money out and I could move money up to a hundred myself but anything above that the board would need to meet or we could phone them up so we all we were all friends we knew each other the idea was to have grantees uh, involved. The idea of People's Fund was do it like Aloha United Way originally and then but have our recipient, instead of each movement group going out to raise money, which takes them away from the work, have a uh, united effort. So People's Fund would have been, the idea was be that united effort and every so often we do a united campaign. It really didn't work out that way, you know, mainly People's Fund on its own would do it and then grant money. But we had people like Kalani Ohello and China Charlie Correa. We'd have some of the struggle groups would have representatives because we wanted our board not to be academic or out of it. We wanted it to consist of the people who are doing the work. So we, we had a good board. We, we're not very strict on kicking people off the board after two years. But generally, we rotated enough, and the meetings were very pleasant. We, it was only later when we got more into, once we were in FEX, we had to meet certain uh, requirements, and we had, we had never heard about FEX. In fact, the name People's Fund was from a group called I think it was Philadelphia People's... The People's Fund, yeah. Yeah, we stole the name, we stole <laughs> the, the logo and just made it the People's Fund because we could use the P and the F. And then later we joined the FEX uh, and got to meet Kindred Funds and became part of this great uh, national network. And at one point they decided, why don't we raise money for endowment? And that has really, that really kicked off. Um, when I first started, I hated raising money because, you know, you go up to, you want to buy a ticket to that or this, or the people would see me and go the other way. But um, we had a good fixed seminar and they would point out that it's really like giving people a chance to be part of something, you know? So you're doing them a favor by asking for a donation. So that helped me. And it helped our board. And instead of just a, you know, we be, all became a funding board. In other words, we'd go out and help raise the money. So People's Fund developed. And by the time Mickey came in, um, I th and after Mickey's come in, it's really gotten launched even more. I think we have deeper roots into the local communities, especially the Kanaka Maoli community. Because we were mainly in like the struggle communities, Chinatown, Oda Camp, you know, uh, other islands, Niumalu, Nawiliwili. So we had those connections, but we really weren't grounded in the local Hawaiian community as much. But, uh, and I think Mickey's really helped in that, <laughs> really augmented that area. We also had a lot of anti-war campus kind of supporters, academics supporting us in the early days, which was good. I think we were one of the few funds that had a lot of uh, donors. So we might have two or 300, usually smaller donors are on our list. Whereas most of the other funds had some, they started with a wealthy donor, most of them, 
and we started just the other way. So now we have both, I think. We need a lot of the smaller donors. Yeah. That's the thing. Yes. People to show up. And also to send stuff on the other groups, on the other movement groups. So, yeah. There's a lot of um, organizing with Filipino groups, right? Around Marcos and... There was back in the 70s and 80s, yeah. And when Ferdinand came to Hawaii, <laughs> after he got kicked out, we would do a lot of demonstrations. Even when he visited here as uh, the president of the Philippines, we would uh, demonstrate against his, pro his uh, appearances. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Friends of the Filipino people, Union of Democratic Filipinos. Uh, I was with Philippine Workers Support Committee. So we're trying to get labor people to stand up for Philippine workers because they're, they're always under attack in the Philippines. We still do a lot of that work. We have a couple organizations now that are going after Bong Bong Marcos and his vice president in the regime and trying to cut U.S. Uh, money. We give like eight, you know, 100 million a year or more, 387 million. So to me, and most of that money goes to the military and it's used to repress and kill people. So it's, and it doesn't seem to matter whether a Republican or Democratic administration is in power, they still fund these bastards. So yeah, a lot of our, our work over the decades has been with Philippine issues. So. Now the People's Fund used to fund in the Philippines. We also, we could give overseas grants, so we funded in Nuclear Free Pacific. We helped some of their work. In Philippines, we've made some grants to the labor movement there and to the political prisoners and some other things. So it was um, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, it, it, it got under Nancy, I think it got restricted to just uh, Hawaii. I, was, I always favored both. We had a 10% cap on non-Hawaii, but I thought it'd be good to have that flexibility where you, you have some allies abroad, because Hawaii's in the middle of the Pacific, and uh, we should have allies and groups that we relate to. And if we can help them, great. A lot of them can help us. We used to have a lot of exchanges, Aotearoa, people would come and speak we would send people to their countries or to the Philippines. So that kind of exchange was like a people-to-people -people exchange. So we used to fund some of that. I think um, that exchange is still happening even without that. So I'm not, I'm not upset. <laughs> I used to campaign for it, but I would usually lose. <laughs> but we did, I mean, almost all our funding was in Hawaii. We didn't get it. We didn't have enough neighbor island grants or recipients in those days. So now it's great to see ten on ten on the big island alone. And our board includes. Um, I mean, neighbor the island committee. We're trying to. Okay, diver. That's great. That's great that you can do that now with Zoom and right. other stuff. Right. Yep. As we move into our next 50 years of supporting changemakers in Hawaii, this podcast is documenting another evolution of the Hawaii People's Fund story. 
We appreciate you, our listeners, for joining us and being part of the future we are making together. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho!